Welcome to the Banner Brothers Podcast. Today's date is February the 21st, 2008, and we are continuing on the quest for authentic manhood. We're in week 19, and we're looking at a man and his wife, part one. Ben Pritchett, the minister to education and adults at Houston's First Baptist Church, is our leader today, and we hope you enjoy the study. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time that we've already been able to spend together uh, as, as a band of brothers, Lord. I pray that, that we would continue to grow in our biblical manhood uh, as we continue to come here, uh, get up early, and sacrifice some time to, to, to spend time in your word together. Lord, I pray that you would speak through Ben this morning about what it means to be a married man. I pray, God, that those of us who are married and those of us who uh, someday hope to be married would take, uh, take note today of the things that you want to teach us, God. May we walk out of your changed men because of what you do in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm grateful to be with you again and to share with you. Let me just uh, give you a little bit of a disclaimer right up. We had some computer problems this morning, so you're going to get a plain vanilla sort of presentation. And uh, I'm not an Apple guy, so I hope I can make this thing work with uh, all of this we speak, which uh, sort of is interesting because we're going to be talking about speaking different languages and how important that is. <laughs> But uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to uh, be back and be sharing with you a little bit this week and th- next week. These are two very important lessons, and some of you may have known that uh, Pastor Greg and I were going to devy these up. He was going to be here today, and so you're down to me. But, uh, you know, he had a new little baby this week. They did in their home. Valerie's doing well. Mama's doing well. Daddy's doing well. And so everybody's... Uh, getting back on the right track. This morning we start the sort of the last third, if you will, of our quest uh, to manhood. Uh, We have talked a little bit about uh, what has gone into making you the kind of person that you are. And we've talked a little bit about the different uh, unraveling, sort of unraveling the knots in our lives and the wounds that sometimes we've experienced as a result of that background. And finally, we have been spending the last few weeks some some time getting some definition to uh, what manhood, biblically, what manhood really means. And today, we sort of turn that corner towards the process of incorporating that um, understanding of manhood into our lives, particularly and specifically, and, and I might add most importantly, to the woman that God is bringing you into your life, those of you that already has, have found that mate and those of you that may still be searching and, and uh, trusting God to bring that right woman into your life because, as we're going to talk about today, you will really discover that nothing for a man can help complete us more than finding that right mate, that right person, and nothing can um, make us more successful and happy, fulfilled, and complete than having a strong relationship there with our wives. At the same time, nothing can make us more uh, have a, a sadder, more difficult uh, time in life than if we do not understand that relationship. Now, as to, <clears throat> I guess, experience, uh, my wife and I have been married coming up in June 39 years. So I've uh, been there, done that, and have had some 
ups and had some downs. It is um, <clears throat> not an easy walk, but it's been a joyful walk. And it is always going to, life is just that way. You're going to have some times that are rougher than others, and you go through some difficult times. Now, uh, Kathy and I had the privilege, I really had the privilege, um, in being um, high school sweethearts. I sort of took the approach, guys, that I found a girl early and sort of brought her up the way I wanted her. But uh, she has uh, been my, uh, I taught her how to drive. And uh, so, you know, we've really been together a long time. While we've been married 39 years, we've been together as a couple uh, for about 44 uh, years. So uh, God has uh, really, you know, one of the things that strikes you at this stage of life, I'm, I'm 58, and one of the things that strikes you is you look back at a relationship like this, you thank God for it, you sometimes marvel at how you got here. It seems like yesterday, it really does. And, and when I speak to young men especially, don't, don't ever look way down life and think, oh man, I've got all the time in the world and this will pass and that will come. Life is like that. And you'll be looking back. But I look back and I think, wow, you know, she and I have had each other to work on and shape us up far longer than our parents had to uh, deal with us. So uh, we, have, we have lived together in joy and in happiness and, and sometimes in sorrow, but God has blessed that. Now, want us to move on, and as we do, one of the things that we're going to look at, a real man is one who rejects, we've talked about these things, passivity. We reject passivity. You need to be courageous and strong at that point. He is one that uh, accepts responsibility. He has a work to do. He has a will to obey, and he has a woman to love and care for. That is God's plan. He has uh, he leads courageously. Uh, we must uh, learn how to master our feelings, not have our feelings master us. And we must uh, be mastered by the principles of the Word of God. And that is a courageous leader. And then finally, we need to, uh, uh, a real man is one who expects greater reward, God's reward. In other words, a real man, biblically, is a man who understands his relationship with our Lord, who understands uh, the principles of the God of Word, is a man of faith, and has, him, has done all he can to walk in that biblical perspective and in that challenge. Even today, our media and every source... Well, you don't have it up there, do you? Well, see, that's one of those little things. We look at a what I have on my screen that you don't see as a Newsweek, Let's see if I can get that up there. Now, oh, there you go. So it's the operator. Uh, <clears throat> the media sometimes, uh, it always amazes me. I mean, it has for many years how the uh, seemingly the secular world, I don't want to pick on the media, it's, 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 uh, it's the uh, educational system and everything, but academia, we just sort of are, are discovering all the time that there's a difference in men and women, boys and girls, and and uh, yet there is a tremendous crisis in every area with men. I, was, I, I am amazed at the transition that I've watched in my life in manhood. And so it is so encouraging. Robert Lewis and other great leaders who, um, Farrar and all of them, that are helping us inside the church to really come. And I, it's so encouraging to see men who will 
pay the price to be up here like you guys each Thursday morning to learn how to be the type of man that God would have you to be. One of the things that's for sure and for certain is that um, if, and I've often said this when I'm doing a wedding ceremony, that uh, here we are about to marry a couple, and it's something that I want to us to think about is this. There is probably not a more real example of heaven on earth than a happy home. If a husband and a wife and the children have love for one another, they're committed to the Lord, there's a mutual respect, there's a desire to protect each other, there is love in that home, it, there is nothing closer to heaven on earth. At the same time, give me a home where there's strife, distrust, dishonesty, enmity, and I will promise you, you will have nothing closer to hell on earth than that type of home. So it is something that is very, very crucial to understand and put in perspective. Now, what we're going to be talking about a little bit is that men and women really do speak a different language. And... Uh, Robert Lewis talked about the fact that if nothing probably is, and, and I know this is so true for me when I go in, I've not been a huge world traveler, but I've gone into a couple of different countries where I can't speak the language. And nothing puts me more ill at ease, and I don't know about you, but to be in a place where I cannot communicate. And yet, for the most part, most of us guys, the way we're wired and the way our women are wired, we can't communicate. We really do have to work at it. I was thinking... This morning, if you've not taken uh, the course Love Languages, you need to do that. How many of you have had that course? Okay, well, I asked Eric and him, and, and it's been taught, and if we don't have it on the schedule for milestones, we need to put it back on the schedule because it discusses the fact that God really does give each human being a particular love language. That is, a love language is the way you express love and the way you receive love. And it is so important, so illustrative of what we're talking about this morning. Because if a woman's love language, for example, is words of affirmation, that's one of them. And she just, what fuels her is when a, a person, but particularly that husband, says to her, you are the one, most wonderful thing in the world, that was the best dinner in the world, you just don't know what it means to me for me to come home and there be a clean house and the children cared for, that blesses me. That's words of affirmation. If, on the other hand, the man is all the time piling gifts on her because his love language may be gifts, he is doing his best to speak love to her, and she's saying, all I want is some affirmation and appreciation. You see the disconnect? And so we often do that. And by the way, for those of you that have children already, children have a love language, and that same principle applies how many times have you heard the story of a child whose parents maybe lavish gifts on them trying to express love when they wanted quality time? They just wanted to spend some time together. So that's a very, very important thing. It's very, very illustrative of this. But let me, let me share. Robert Lewis, in his presentation of this, had a couple of two or three good examples that he uh, read from books. And so I don't have his books, but I have the transcripts of his tapes. So I want to read you a couple of these. How, uh, some of you may have uh, read uh, Dave Barry uh, through the years, but uh, he is a wonderful satire writer and 
humorist, and uh, he was reading, he was writing an article like this. Uh, Robert Lewis said this is one of his favorite stories. It's fast becoming one of mine, but let me read this to you. He says, it'll illustrate our point. Roger and Elaine had been seeing each other regularly, and then one evening as they were driving home after dating, a thought occurred to Elaine, and without really speaking, she just said it out loud. Roger, do you realize that today we've been seeing each other for exactly six months? Then there was silence in the car. To Elaine, it seemed like a very loud silence. She thinks to herself, oh, geez, I wonder if I have bothered him. Oh, my, what? I shouldn't have said that. Maybe he's feeling confined in our relationship. Maybe he thinks I'm trying to push him into some kind of obligation. Oh, no, it, uh, he doesn't. He doesn't want that obligation. Oh, I'm just not sure. And then Roger is thinking, six months. And Elaine is thinking, but hey, hey, I'm, I'm not sure I want this kind of relationship either. Sometimes I wish I had a little more space for myself so, so that I had some time for myself, so I had time to think whether I really wanted to keep on going in this relationship, moving steadily forward. I mean, I mean after all, where are we going? Are we just going to... S- keep seeing each other at this level of intimacy? Are we headed towards marriage? Are, will there be children? Will we have a life together? Am I ready for this level of commitment? Do, do I even know this person? And Roger's thinking, six months. You know, wow, six months ago, oh, that was back in February. That's when I, uh, we started going out. huh? Well, you know, that's about the time I went to the car dealer, which means, oh, let's check the odometer. Wow, I need an oil change. And uh, Elaine is thinking, oh, no, he's upset. I can see it on his face. Maybe he has, he has sensed this before. I even sensed it. And that, that, that we're feeling some reservations here. I bet that's it. I bet that's it. That's why he's so reluctant to say anything right now about his feelings. He's afraid of being rejected. And Roger's thinking, hey, you know, when I'm there, I just ought to go ahead and have them uh, check the... Uh, check the other transmission fluids and all of this, and I have done a terrible thing here, guys. Hold on. I was trying to be smart, and I got my notes out of out of place. Here we go. Here's the rest of it. I apologize because this is too good to miss. He said, "You know, <coughs> I'll just pardon me. I'll check the transmission." That mechanic doesn't know what he's saying about the shifting anyway. Elaine is thinking, "See, see, he's angry, and I don't blame him. I'd be angry too." I feel so guilty by putting him in this situation. Oh, no, I, I, I'm just not sure anymore. And Roger's thinking, that's probably a 90-day warranty when I get there. And Elaine is thinking, maybe I'm just too idealistic, waiting for a knight to ride in the horse. Roger, Elaine says out loud without thinking. What? startled Roger. Please don't torture yourself, she says. Eyes wailing up in tears. Maybe I should have never, maybe I should never said, oh, God, I feel so, so what, Roger says. Oh, I'm such a fool, Elaine says. I mean, I know there's no knight. I know that. It's silly. There's no knight. There's no horse. There's no horse, says Roger. You think I'm a fool, don't you? Roger says no, finally glad to get the right answer and be certain of it. I'm just that, it's just that I'm, I'm not sure, says, uh, it was the wrong time, says Elaine. There's a 15-second pause, and Roger's thinking fast as he can to come up with a safe response. Finally, he comes up with one he thinks will work. Well, yes. And Elaine is deeply moved and touched. 
Oh, Roger, do you really feel that way? Uh, what way, says Roger? And, and th that, that way about our time. Oh, oh, yes, says Roger to Elaine. Elaine turns to face him and gazes into his eyes, causing him to become nervous about what he might say next. Um, thank you, says Roger. Thank you, thank you. Oh, then he takes her home and she lies on her bed, conflicted and tortured and weeps till dawn. For as Roger gets back to his place, opens some Doritos, turns on the TV, and immediately begins to get deeply involved in a rerun of a tennis match of two Czechoslovakians he's never heard of. The next day, Elaine calls her closest friend and perhaps two more, and they talk about this situation for six hours. In painstaking detail, they analyze every comment and go over and over time and again, exploring every word, every expression, every gesture, every nuance for the meaning of the possible ramifications. And then they will continue to discuss the subject on and off for weeks. Meanwhile, Roger was playing racquetball one day with a mutual friend of his and Elaine's, and he pauses in the middle of the game and he says, Say, Norm, did Elaine ever have a horse? That's just the difference in the way men and women think. And uh, if you've had a relationship very long, you know uh, that for a fact in your own life. Now, this is a, a key verse that we need to go to, and I probably need to go back to that. I didn't realize I had it up. Okay, let's look at this. 1 Peter 3, 7. Uh, key key understanding, your hus you husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may, be, may not be hindered. I want us to look just for a moment at some key phrases in there pointing over there, and I need to point here, don't I? In an understanding way equals insight and skill. Again, this is sort of that, that understanding way is that analogy of being able to begin to speak the same language. And let me tell you, you do have to work at it to have a happy relationship in any area of your life, but especially you need to work at that relationship at home with that woman that God has given you. You need to learn how to speak, women speak, so that you communicate with one another. So it, Peter is saying, husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way. And that takes time, guys. That takes effort. And grant her honor means appreciate and value. Nothing is more important to a woman than to be appreciated and valued. Just as you want recognition for your accomplishments in life as a man, a woman wants to know that she's appreciated and valued. And so it is very, very critically important that we in our relationships with our wives understand that. And if it is some young lady that you're courting and you're headed toward what you hope to be marriage, these same principles, these same truths are important in applying their lives. And then Peter says, um, so that, uh, and grant her honor as a 
fellow heir of the grace of life. A fellow heir speaks to equality and worth. This is something that is so very, very important. And I often share with young couples through the years that one of the greatest differences in our in our marriage and our life as we were finding each other and finding out how to help each other is when I became far more concerned in my life for my wife, for her feelings, for her needs, for her uh, love than I did about me. And so I live my life, literally, guys, not subservient to a woman, but trying as the man to make sure that she feels fulfilled and, and happy and secure. Security is extremely important to a wife. Trust. And likewise, when a wife realizes that it is far more important in her life that that man has what he needs. So again, it's addressing those same truths. Now, Robert Lewis goes into, I think, a very interesting discussion here of three models of marriage that we have. The first is the top-down traditional marriage. The top-down traditional marriage. Uh, key scripture for this is in, um, and he said to them in Luke 22:25, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors but not so with you. If you were to um, put this model in a uh, graphic, it would look something like this. Now, for those of you uh, who uh, are near my age, for much of the 60s and 70s and, and even into the 80s, this was often taught, uh, even in church, as the model. It is the, the way that we ought to see things. It is God and then the man and then the wife. But when you look at this, as he will point out and fill in some of your blanks, what you see here is that in that model, the husband's position is that of king. He is the lord of the household. And so it brings a certain position that everybody else in this household is under my leadership. I am the lord of this, uh, and that's the leadership style. The goal in mind is personal benefits. The king, the lord of the household, wants to make sure that his personal needs are being met, and he is getting benefited. Unfortunately, in that chain of uh, that style of marriage, often it is the woman who's, who does not have any benefits, who are, is not rewarded. And then, lastly, the effects on the marriage is that usually there is a winner and the loser, and in more times than not, the wife is the loser. Now, I, I don't mean to pick at that. As I said, I've worked through some of that through the years. And you will know that there are many, many homes, maybe in this very room, where that has been taught. Maybe you're a young man, but that was the style your parents, the model of marriage they had. And we do tend to grow up and model what our parents did. Isn't that amazing? And so um, you may need to listen and study and recognize and look back at your own home setting and realize that maybe there is just maybe the possibility that it ought to be a little bit different. 
Um, there is a, another one of these notes that he had. This one's not quite as long, guys. But Irma Bombeck uh, was a female writer, much like Dave Barry. She's uh, passed away now uh, prematurely with cancer, but she wrote some of the funniest articles. And she wrote this, which is not so funny as it is just uh, it explains much of what I just said and what has happened in our relationships. She said, uh, as the woman's movement began to be born into America in the late 60s and then throughout the 70s, picking up steam in the 80s, she wrote for two decades throughout the 60s and 50s and 60s, Ozzie and Harriet. Now, any of you seen that in replays of replays of replays? Now, some of us watched that when it was live, but uh, uh, we won't have to all admit that, but uh, many of you may have seen that. But Ozzie and Harriet uh, were role models for every country. You, uh, I mean, every couple in every country. By the way, another one, my wife and I was sharing this with her, and uh, she said, well, I think the uh, Leave It to Beaver. Now, more of you probably saw that, but June and Ward probably had the same... You could almost apply this same thing and just substitute, if you don't know who Ozzie and Harriet is, substitute June and Ward. But uh, Harriet was always looked better in clean, while cleaning her house than most women looked at their wedding. She never lost her temper. She never raised her voice. She never gained weight, and she never spent more money than her husband made. It was that golden age of God, motherhood, flag, and apple pie. All you had to do to be a mother was put on an apron, and no one did it better than TV, TV's primetime moms. Unfortunately, it was that not-ready-for-primetime mother in the late 60s and 70s that began to question. They questioned those long days, those lacks of fringe benefits, that run-and-fetch-it syndrome that men often have, feeling used and taken advantage of, and it started out as a ripple of discontent, and it continued to gather momentum through the 70s and into the 80s, the dissidents workforce, work a force to be dealt with. What happened to Ozzie and Harriet and June and Ward? Well, she concludes, they dis disappeared beneath a tidal wave of reality. We had an image and a model in, um, in television that really was not real. And people do not walk around in those plastic ways. And so we need to understand that difference. Now let's go on and look at the next model. It's the 50-50 identical model. Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. And this is a great verse. And uh, you can put it in the context of the home because you can put it in the context of all of our relationships when we recognize that we really are all one in Christ. You put this into a graphic and it will look something like this. <coughs> Pardon me. God is, is still at the top and uh, where he needs to be, and yet husband and wife are there together. Now, the problem with this model, you know, is that equality is one thing, but becoming sameness is another. And so society began to struggle with this. And so here are some of, the, uh, some of those other points. A husband's position 
here is that of a partner. We're in this thing together. Now, those of you that uh, are familiar with doing uh, businesses at all knows what's the number one failure in business? Partnerships. Because two people are trying to lead. It is very, very difficult. can be done. A lot of marriages use this model, and it is a workable model for them. They have become 50-50 partners. The leadership style really is one of leader-less, and um, that can bring about its own um, difficult issues because uh, the, it's a difficult model because it, it often fall, uh, falls apart many times, and there's a lot of failures, but no one is in charge. The goal in mind is equality. We're going to make sure that we have an equal hand in this marriage. And the effects on the marriage is that there is a difficult balance and there are many, many hard falls. There's a, let's see, let me look at my time. I think there's another great example. Let me just uh, uh, relate to it and, and speak to it. But it uh, is a story uh, that uh, Robert Lewis shares of that couple, and we've all seen these perhaps in our own families, perhaps in your own life, hopefully not, but perhaps in those uh, offices where a man and a woman are on an equal footing and uh, the woman has, uh, they've gotten married and the woman helps put the husband through school and she's so excited because she's making a strong income and she helps the husband get his degree and then he gets out of school and in our world he starts to excel and he's moving right along, they're chugging right along, having their uh, life together. And then, all of a sudden, he comes in very excitedly and announces to her, wow, you know what? I've got a promotion. We're going to move. He doesn't ask. He doesn't consider. He just tells her we're going to another place. Only thing is, she's saying, time out. Wait, I don't want to move. I've got a job. I've got a career. I've been working my way up the uh, uh, career ladder. And then uh, they work through that. She submits to that, and they go off to uh, the husband's new job. Whereupon again, now he, uh, she finds a job there in the same field, and because she's successful and, and, and good at her job, she quickly climbs the corporate ladder. And soon she reaches a new plane. And now she comes to the husband one day and says, wow, they've given me nationwide responsibility. I'm going to start traveling more. I'm going to be out. And all of a sudden he's exploding and saying, but who's going to be here to take care of me? And who's going to run the home? And so the couple eventually ends up in divorce because they've gone down two separate paths, each trying to be equal and each trying to have everything in life without consideration of the other. Now, uh, Robert Lewis, and it's a great book. You can probably get it in our bookstore. has a book uh, where he shares a truth account of that story. It's a little longer and and I didn't want to read that much at this point, but it, the book is called Rockin', Rockin' the Rolls. Rockin' the Rolls by Robert Lewis. It's a great book talking about this very, very issue that we're talking about. And finally, the third model of marriage that he points out is the side-by-side -side biblical marriage. Look at this scripture in Ephesians. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church 
He Himself being the Savior of the body. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. For this cause a man shall leave his mother and father and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. What a powerful passage. And the uh, for me here, this is where uh, the key part of this is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. We're going to talk, talk about that. Here, here's how that would graphically look. Has God at the home, head of this where he should be in a Christian home, but you notice the husband and wife are together. There's a little arrow there instead of an equal mark, and what that points to is that this husband is leading the wife, but they're leading it as a team. They're walking together. There is a leadership, uh, or rather a position here, which is the husband is the head of the home. The Scripture says that. The, every organization... and if you would, looking at these three models, you need to think of the, the home as an organization, as a sort of uh, corporate model, if you would. And every organization that's really going to be successful has to have a clear, definitive leader, head of the home. But that does not mean a ruler. And so the leadership style is one of responsibility, or responsible and sacrificial. In other words, the leadership role for the husband is that he wants to accept the responsibility that's put upon his shoulders by God for this home, for this family, for this wife, and yet it is a sacrificial. Listen, we are men of the Lord. Most everyone in this room probably has come to that place and understand your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you do not, we pray that you will do that so that because everything in life gets into the proper perspective. But Jesus, how did he love the church? He gave himself for it, the Bible says right here, and he died for it. He sacrificed himself for it. He put you and I ahead of himself. Have you ever thought about that very profound fact that thousands of years ago, Jesus was willing to die for you Today, Jesus died with you in mind. God knows us, the Bible says, like the hairs on our head. Now, God, uh, there is, uh, this leadership style is, is very important. Goal in mind is oneness. The Bible says here, we're to be one. And so we're working for the mutual benefit of each other. It is not... Uh, a, a type of relationship where where one is to be have their needs met and the other one do the meeting of those needs. But as I described a while ago, when I, I often, as I said, tell couples, when you really make the major point of your life, not you, but your partner, that your desire is to fulfill them. Guys, I want to tell you something. Nothing will help a woman put you on a higher pedestal than when you do that. When you really start conveying to her in language and body action and uh, putting her first. Nothing will make her put you first any faster. And sometimes that means sacrifice, even as Jesus sacrificed. Sacrifice? How do you sacrifice? How can you sacrifice? Well, maybe you want to do one thing and you know she'd prefer to do another. Maybe you're taking her out for Valentine's and there's a, 
a ballet she'd like to see, but you'd rather go to a Rockets game. I mean, you know, do you take her to the ball game or do you take her where she wants? That's the sort of thing we're talking about sometimes in the, that relationship. And then the effects on the marriage is that it health, the home is healthy, there's happiness, there's harmony. Now, <clears throat> next week when I come back, we're going to take a closer look at these, but let's, let's wrap up and he gives us just some food for thought between now and then. The Bible speaks to core issues. Core issues. And let's define core as Robert Lewis in his materials is uh, discussing it. A small but essential ingredient, essential, hear that, of every marriage that must not be compromised, neglected, or ignored if the marriage is to succeed overall. I cannot tell you how important this segment is, and as we get into it next week, because those are not trivial words. If you want your marriage to succeed, these are some core issues that must be defined and understood. Let's look at those real quickly, and then we'll get into them quicker, uh, and deeper, rather, next week. There are core roles in the home. Having the role of the man and the role of the wife understood is critical. It is a, uh, the, the, the Bible paints a symbiotic relationship. That is where two separate living beings or organisms, if you remember your biology, uh, coexist for the benefit of each other. That is what a marriage is. It is a core relationship. And then core responsibilities. I mean, responses, I'm sorry. Responses. Uh, there is, we're going to talk about next week, there are those things that a man needs in his life that if the wife wants to uh, fulfill that marriage and have that uh, marriage to be profitable and happy, she must give to the man. And likewise, there are things in a woman's life, responses that she needs from you, and if you ignore those, if you uh, put those aside for your own needs, it is going to lead to unhappiness. And then finally, there are core concerns. Um, we'll, we'll get into that next week, but these again are those concerns that come into a marriage and into a relationship that must be dealt with for happiness. Now let's take a brief look at the core roles and we'll deal deeper into it next week. A couple of of issues here. The husband is the head. The husband is the head. Here's a scripture. Uh, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those uh, who have authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you, but let him who is the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as the servant. For who or who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. And so we're talking about a really fundamental difference here. In our marriages, we're going to find that if you are a true uh, leader and the head of that home, you have a servant's heart to that home. You have a servant's heart. You Put your wife and your children 
first and foremost. That's a servant. Just as Jesus, who was Lord God and left the right hand of the Father to come and, and suffer and die as a servant on earth. And so the, the descriptor here is, if you understand head in a biblical sense, it is the husband is to be a servant leader. A servant leader. Seeking to lead and take responsibility. There's that word again. So that he might fulfill that marriage. And likewise, there is a, a designate for the wife. And she is the helper. The helper. And notice uh, in this passage in Titus, encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own house husbands, pardon me, and the word of God may not be dishonored. And so there, this is what the wife needs to see. Her greatest joy and fulfillment is in taking care of that home. Now, I will be the first to tell you, we, that's a difficult challenge in our age because so many wives are outside the home. And so you need to prayerfully together work on your family's roles and where you feel God is leading you in fulfilling that. Now, here is her explanation of the helper. It is that of a servant lover. She wants to have a servant's heart toward the home and toward the husband, but it is a lover. A wife and the tenderness of the woman can give man so much that he needs in life, and that's some of that core, core uh, issues that we're going to talk about next week. So... Let's, uh, let's break, and I believe you go into your groups. Let me just offer a brief word of prayer, and then you move into your discussions. Father in heaven, we thank you that you loved us and that you knew that we needed uh, that companion in life to be fulfilled and that you provided for that in your plan for man. We thank you that you have uh, called these men here to learn and to study so that they might be the kind of man that you want them to be. We pray that you will bless their discussion as they look at these things we've discussed today. In Christ's name.